Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to AMBETS Radio. At AMBETS Radio, we're dedicated to providing the who, what, where, when, and why of everything AMBETS nationwide. For over 50 shows now, AMBETS Radio not only educates, but tries to inspire all veterans serving veterans with interviews that are not only thought-provoking, but through humor, decades of wisdom, lots of great stories, and of course, information about AMBETS. It's our goal at AMBETS Radio that after hearing this show, you'll walk away different than you arrived. We thank you for taking the time to listen to AMBETS Radio. And for more information, including upcoming shows or previous ones, visit AMBETSRadio.com. Now sit back and relax, buckle up and get ready, because the AMBETS Radio train is about to leave the station. Well, good evening, folks. Welcome to AMBETS Radio, show number 70. Today is July 24th, 2018. And the topic for tonight is a very serious matter. It's a problem that I really didn't realize just how bad of a situation that it is. You know, veterans' homelessness affects more than just those that we see and those know. And today, the whole purpose is to let you know not only about the homelessness issue, but that it's very real. And right in our own backyard, we experience this awful situation. Again, today is July 24, 2018. I'd like to bring on my guest host, he is the third vice for AMBETS Tennessee 45, Mr. Alex Conley. Alex, how you doing, sir? Doing good, Perry. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. I was going to start the show off with the song, but it wouldn't play. So I said, okay, fine. We're going to go off that and continue forward. Why don't I we go ahead before we get your... the show? Oh, mute moments? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> No, it was not a mute moment. I was waiting. I've got this song called You're Not Forgotten. It's really good, and I'm really disappointed that it didn't play. It took kind of longer than I thought to start, so I'm going to try during the show to see if I can get this looped up again because it's really it's an amazing song, man. As you know, I mean, I've been homeless myself, Okay. I was wondering if people forgot about me, and I, did, I wasn't even a veteran. We've got a power-packed show tonight, man. We've got some people who've experienced this, people who have worked in it. I've got a gentleman that's gonna, that I'm bringing on the show tonight uh, who I'm going to bring on first who has a business, although it kind of is a ministry, but it's called Community for Heroes, and he deals with this homeless situation he provides housing to veterans who are homeless and he's been on our show a couple times named josh pack and i called him and i said josh we're having a we're we're having a a show on your exact topic so i said can you come on and he said absolutely we also have got a friend of the show 
second vice for Ambits DC, Orlando Herrera. And this time we got the first vice, his buddy Antoine Thomas, who is coming on, uh, who uh, both of these guys are, are very knowledgeable about this topic and actually asked to be on the show specifically. And, of course, he's bringing on an Army veteran who is an employee with the U.S. Vets. Her name is Sheila Scarborough. I'm not sure what time she's coming on, but she's going to be on. She's dealt with this as well. But before we get started, let's go ahead with our national anthem. I'll do a word of prayer, and we'll kick things off. Sound good, brother? Let's go, brother. Here we go. You've seen it fit for us to be here one more day. While there are people who this morning left for work are planning to be back at home, some of them have not made it and are now face-to-face with you. As we speak, there are people that planned on being here tonight and are now face-to-face with you. There are so many people, Father, who are without homes that are living on the streets. Father, we know that you know their needs We know that you know their concerns, their fears, and we know that you will provide for their needs according to the riches of your grace. We know that you have them there for a reason. We might not have all the facts, but we certainly know that life has a way of bringing us down and bringing us to places that we sometimes don't understand why we are where we are, but through those situations... And I know firsthand, Father, that even when I did not have a place to go, that the people that I interacted with at that time needed 
to hear a word of encouragement. They needed something, and I, in my situation, were able to give them comfort. And so I know you have a plan, and I know that you've put together this service for reasons that you and you alone can answer. I thank you for those that are stepping forward to talk about their experiences, for those that have experiences, and I just pray that as we go through this evening that not only you'd be honored by this conversation, but that you would help shed light on this situation and that we would, instead of being just a hearer of the word, but be a doer to offer some support, some love to someone that might come forward who is homeless and who needs our help. I thank you so much, and I love you, and I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Alex, sir, I would like to uh, start off with you today, uh, because not only does your post and you personally deal with this on a daily basis, but I want to get started with you to open up the floor, and then we'll go ahead and bring on Josh, and then after Josh, we're going to bring on Antoine, and then after Antoine, we'll bring on Orlando, and then we'll bring on Sheila. So go ahead, brother. The floor is yours. Well, Perry, I mean, first of all, I have to thank. So when we have topics such as this that are this important, you know, I, I, I know a lot of them. I know a lot about them, but, you know, I still want to make sure my facts and figures are great. So I, I usually have a research assistant. Her name is Austin. She's the one that helps compile all the research and the statistics and the data on it. And I want to give her thanks for helping out and contributing to the show. But, you know, when when we're talking about veteran homelessness, it is a, a major crisis. Actually, last year in 2017 was the first year veteran homelessness rose in the last seven years. And Military Times did an article about it. Now, Statista, a statistics website, actually used by Harvard Business School and many other colleges as a credible source. California has over 11,000 homeless veterans. Florida is the next highest with around 2,900. Then you have Texas and Tennessee, both tied for third highest in the nation of veteran homelessness. Where'd you go, brother? We lost you. Well, I don't know what happened. You might need to call back in, brother. Because I got everybody else. Oh, his call just got dropped. In the meantime, I know he's going to call right back, so be patient, folks. One of the things about this technology is that it's technology. (laughs) And through this technology, we run into issues. Almost every show does. It's what do you do with the situation when you have it. In the meantime, here's what I would like to do is as he calls back in, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bring on Josh, and then we will continue with Alex as soon as he reestablishes his connection. Community for Heroes is his company. Josh, how you doing, sir? Thank you for joining us on AMS Radio. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be back on myself. What's been going on with Community for Heroes, man? I know you've been busy. I've been watching you on Facebook. First of all, spend a few moments and talk about Community for Heroes so people know what it is you do and why it is you do it. Well, it's a 
It's a 100% uh, nonprofit agent, 501c3 accredited. Um, our staff's all volunteers, so no one gets paid. It's a, I can actually tell people where their money goes to actually helping a veteran. Um, why I do it is I was homeless. I was able to get back on my feet, and I didn't realize the extent of the situation until I got back on my feet and kind of got a, a little bit more involved in that community. And uh, and I didn't want to be that guy that just, you know, says somebody should do something about our veterans. Somebody should help them, me being one, you know. Like, so I decided, you know, well, put, you know, put your money where your mouth is and do something. So I quit my job and, and sold everything I had and put everything I can into this nonprofit. And that's what I've done. And I've been doing it for a little over a year and a half now. And we've uh, just in a year and a half, we've put over 30 people in a, in a place with assistance with other organizations as well. Um, not including other organizations, how many they've put in and like uh, HUD VASH and, and the MASH unit here in Cobble. And that's just in this area. That's not including um, Knoxville and Nashville and Crossville area and Chattanooga. The numbers are even higher. Um, but the big issue, we, uh, the government does their timing count. Usually, uh, in, in the winter time, January, February, when we have our lowest numbers. So keep that in mind when they say, "Oh, it's only so high." Um, and during the winter time, you might only find, you know, two to five veterans out on the street. Uh, normally, because family members do take them in. Uh, some of them travel more south. Um, but you see those, those numbers start to rise in May, along with suicide rates among homeless um and then by uh january those numbers have already swung all the way back up to you know around uh, 15 to uh, 25 veterans in the Cookville city limits um that are homeless on the streets and there's a few that i'm trying to uh hunt down as we speak here in Cookville last few days that i've been notified about and you know they're not easy to pin down all the time and they like to be left alone sometimes, and sometimes it's just they need that right push to show that someone actually cares. Um, and in correlation with that, you know, you get the veteran suicide rates. Uh, we just had another one this month in the, in, in Cookville area um, who had PTSD who took his life. So it's a big part of my life to make sure that those numbers go down in both areas. Let me go ahead and bring Alex back on. Alex, you there, sir? Sorry, sorry, Perry. My phone kind of messed up, but I'm back, and I, I right. do apologize. That's all right. Now, Josh, when we last talked, I know that you were looking for some more funding. You were looking at another building. I know that there were some other things going on. What's the status on all that? Are you still looking for help? Yes, I'm definitely looking for how, uh, for uh, the land. Um, we have enough to build eight houses, you know, and it's just it's incredible the things coming in. The bad part is we don't have a place to put it yet, and um, so we can help out tremendously. And, and once we get land, uh, the grants that we can apply for to continue to build on that uh, will be a lot – there will be a lot more opportunities for us in general. And all we need just to start out, just to start, is five acres. 
and it has to, and for right now it has to be in the city limits just because of transportation issues and, and other uh, facilities that are available to the homeless veterans that that could actually travel to our site in the city limits if it's there. Um, and part of our mission is to you know bring awareness to the community about the issue and also bring awareness to the veterans of the opportunities out there that can help them get back on their feet. Alex, you got any comments or questions for Josh? Well, actually, I was speaking to actually a, a source that I have at the Homeless Veteran Outreach Department of the Nashville VA, and they were telling me they have roughly about 200 homeless veterans. Now, that's a fluent number. It fluctuates in the Nashville metro area. I know personally I have a source within the same department that there's roughly about 100, 150 in Clarksville alone. Now, those correlate with the 2,200 in Tennessee. Now, knowing what I know about the recidivism rate, Roughly about 44% of the people that we get into transitional housing will be homeless for at least a day within the next five years. What is your recidivism rate? My recidivism rate? Yes, the amount of veterans that will actually successfully transition through this process. Well, so far, it's only been a year and a half on the end of this so far. It's hard to tell. And as of right now, uh, the ones that we've helped out, uh, we've had zero to go back home as of right now. Awesome. Uh, but that's that's constant hands-on, constant – that's constant, you know, calling and seeing how they're doing. But that's what you – Alex, that's uh, – I'm sorry to interrupt you, Alex. That's what you were talking about is the hands-on stuff, you remember? People not wanting yes. to take the time. Go right into that because that speaks ex- – Listen, Josh, your number, dude, is 100%. You understand? You should be extremely proud of that, that your program is producing that kind of re- – go, Alex. Just I'll be quiet. Go. You're- <laughs> well, he's right. You should be proud of that. And, and, and that's what we've found. What we've done at our post is we've done a one-on-one, hands-on, assign a homeless veteran outreach specialist with each homeless veteran we encounter. Now, we've had a 45% success rate getting them into transitional housing. But as you know, it's not ending there. You ha- your, your main goal is to get them into a home of their own. Now, the problem right. is, is you deal with a lot of PTSD, mental illness. You have disabilities. You have substance abuse addictions that you have mm-hmm. to deal with on a daily basis. And you also have to consider not a lot of these homeless vets, you're not going – not a lot of the people like we are. We're going out where they are, not telling them, come meet us in an office at this time. We're going out, meeting them where they are. We're picking them up, taking them information, and getting them place-to-place personally. We drive them, whether it's to a a substance abuse clinic such as Buffalo Valley, which is all the way out in Hohenwald. They have one in Clarksville, but a lot of these people need to go to the one in Hohenwald. That's a a three-and-a-half-hour drive from Clarksville, if not longer. It's about roughly a five-hour trip. So, so you absolutely understand it's a, quite a haul, but that one-on-one, because a lot of the times you send them to these appointments, they don't understand a lot of the information that's being put out and what they're eligible for. So m- some of the time that one-on-one hands-on attention is what these veterans need to build that trust factor with you to get them through it. And there's also something that I've found um, because I'm not a part of these certain organizations and I don't have the, uh, my hands tied as much 
with the regulations and red tape, there's programs out there these guys can that could benefit them, but the counselors can't ask them unless they ask for it. They can't even offer it until until they've asked for it. So what we've been doing is meeting the counselor prior to the meeting, talking to them, and then we'll have a meeting uh, before they go in. All three of us sit down. I'll go back out and talk to the veteran, and then we all three have that sit down, and I tell them, like, hey, does this sound like something you'd be interested in? Oh, yeah, that would be that – would, that would help me out a lot. And it's like, well, mention it. Make sure you mention that. And so then they're able to get those services that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to get. Because so, they wouldn't have known about them, first of all, or they wouldn't have asked right. about it. Because Now, do you find a lot that. of these veterans, like like I do, they, they don't feel entitled to these services? They feel like somebody else is more deserving yes. of it? Yes, I, that's that's probably one of the hardest things I have to deal with. And, and usually my response to that is like, look, you served your country. We've, we've paid our dues. The fact is, I get it. I was raised, if you can go pick up a square bell, go pick it up. Don't be whining about it. Just do your job. And I get it. That's how I was raised, and that's how a lot of these guys were raised. And so when I tell them, I'm like, look, that problem that you have, that little bitty ache or pain here, or sometimes you get down on your back or whatever that case may be, well, if you don't go to the VA and address it now, the likelihood of you getting help for it later is very slim. And get it now. Just get the help. And you don't have to accept all the time. You don't have to accept the payments. If they'll just, you know, just show that, you know, yes, this is military related, so that if it gets worse, they'll pay for it. So you're not, ha- so your family or yourself's not paying for it. And when they realize that they're going to burden someone else if they don't take care of the situation, a lot of times I've seen that is usually the turning point for them because they don't want to burden their family or anyone else with something that they can now- be taken care of. Now, Austin gathered an article for me from Psychology Today that said roughly 88% of homeless veterans suffer from one form or another of PTSD. What is your experience with that? Uh, Most of the ones that I've seen that suffer really bad from the PTSD are the Vietnam veterans, and they don't want to even talk about it because it's that mentality that they were around then. You're not allowed to. You know, it's it's a taboo. And so – that generation and then the young generation that is coming back now from, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan after being out there for several years, we're seeing those guys have it as well that are that's more combat-related, uh, the Vietnam combat-related. Uh, in between that, you still get some people that have PTSD. You don't see it as often, um, not to downplay anyone else's, you know, struggles or anything like that. Just from my point of view, where I've seen on the streets. You don't see that, you know, as many from, you know, the um, Korean War, the Desert Storm and stuff like that as, as often as you do the Iraqi and Vietnam and Afghanistan veterans. And it's usually combat related. You do have some um, – I get a couple women that are, uh, that are not combat related. It is sexual abuse related. We actually talked so, about that last week, and it kind of ties in a little bit to the Today Show. So, I mean – I mean, I mean that's kind of the the issues that I see, and uh, which I when I when I run across those situations, I immediately try to get them into the Genesis House here in Cookville. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they do a really good job with that, where that is 
I know my limitations, and that's something that I don't have enough knowledge to actually handle it right. Plus, I'm a guy, and being a man, trying to help a female that has been abused by men, it's it's almost impossible. So it it works better when there's another. So that's that has been complicated for me in the past, and and making sure that the right people are involved. So, and a lot of people don't realize who those right people are until someone points them out. But. Definitely, and it, and it's hard to find the. Sometimes it's hard to connect with those people. Have you found like there's a lot of gaps in the connection between those people and what you're trying to accomplish for these homeless veterans? Um, with uh, most of the veterans, I can I feel that uh, because. The most ones I run across are combat related, um, and I have my my PTSD personally is combat related. Um, that's what led to my homelessness. That's what led to not being able to have a job and stuff, and not being able to hold a job for a long time until I got it. Until I actually got it started, actually working on it uh, with doctors and, but uh, connecting with the guy, you know, the girls and stuff, and not knowing how to, uh, that is a big issue for me. I really wish I could because it, it it hurts not being able to do something, but um, it's one of those – the best thing for someone to do, um, such as myself or anyone else that's out there with a family member suffering that is reach out to organizations and find the right person that, that will connect you, that can make that connection that you can't. And, it, and if it means you got to drive three hours, ten hours… It's worth it because it's worth their life. Definitely. One thing that I've noticed a lot, and it's a very small majority, but it, it seems to be the mentality with them most of the time, is you'll have some veterans who panhandle because <laughs> they can make more money doing that than they can going out in a job. You'll see some panhandling that'll make about two, 300 a day just standing right. out by the freeway panhandling, and it's hard to get across to them. Have you tried getting to them, and what was your experience with that if you have? Um, honestly, I haven't had a lot of experience with that here in Cookville. I mean, I have traveled and hit Knoxville and Nashville a little bit, and usually it's just, you know, they shut down on me, don't really want to talk, because um, as far as they're concerned, their life is good, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> because they're making enough money to get, you know, to get what they want and what they have deemed because they've lowered over the years, I think, in my, my opinion, um, expectations what life should be like and to the point to where you know it doesn't have to be very high. So a little bit of money takes them a long way, and then on top of that, they're making more than they need so they can go out and drink and self-medicate, and that's, that is really uh, a strong – substance to take away from somebody and say, hey, you know, come with me. Let's get you sober. Let's find you a job. Let's find you a place to live. And I've just not had a lot of luck with it. They're just, it's just most people shut down on me. The ones that do talk to me, they're just like, well, I appreciate it. You know, just leave me your car. I'll, I'll call you. You know, you just never hear from them. But so, I mean, that's, that's, now, that's I have my, an idea. I have an idea. I want to add to this conversation, Josh. Don't. I know in the past the format of the radio show before we would have a guest and then move on and go to the next one, but over the last about nine weeks, 
we've been getting everybody involved in the conversation. And what we found is the interactivity between the people is what makes the show really what it is. So I'd like to now bring on a brand new person on our show. He is the first vice commander for AMBETS DC. Have not spoken to him before, but looking forward to it. You can see based on his picture, the man's got a smile about a mile wide. Let's go ahead and bring on Antoine Thomas. My brother, welcome to AMBETS Radio. It's about time we get you on. Hey, finally, right? I know, right? I mean, I listen, you and I communicate. I mean, you're all over Facebook and Twitter, man. I mean, you guys have got that nailed down. That's D.C. What you guys do at D.C. is to have a social media course for a lot of the yeah, AMBETS oh, well, because you guys do an amazing job on, on, on social media, man. Well, I, ironically, ironically, bringing that up, uh, we've had a conversation with Joe Schnelli, our ED for National, and uh, he's actually approached us on a few occasions and asked us, you know, Florida and that, you know, is something that we've been looking at to do, streamline technology and do all sorts of things. So uh, teaching social media and teaching what we do is kind of something that we've always wanted to pursue, and the national office has piqued that, uh, you know, that conversation on, on a few occasions. So you've kind of hit that right on the button. Imagine that. Now, you know the conversation. You, you've already heard from Josh Pack from Community for Heroes. You already know Alex. The floor is yours, brother. Yes. Oh, well, thank you. Um, so this is a, this is a um, very vast topic. Uh, is there any area you would like to, uh, for us to get into, or uh, how would you? Well, would one. You Josh, Josh mentioned his, his uh, ability to try and reach to, to females, and that immediately mm-hmm. sparked my brain to a new guest of our show who is on hold, who, who you've invited to this show, and maybe it's time to bring her on as well because maybe she can, maybe she sure. can help him with that. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Sure. So before before we do that, I want to I want to introduce her and kind of preface that because she does have a lot of experience, especially with female veterans. Sheila, I met Sheila at a transitional house that um, I was a resident of, as well as uh, Commander Herrera, and we got to know each other, and uh, we saw a lot of eye to eye on the homelessness situation here in D.C. specifically. Um, with U.S. Vets. Uh, she's no longer with U.S. Vets, but she has a very good understanding of the casework, uh, what goes on both on a political spectrum and how people view homelessness and the kind of lack of uh, participation from some of our leaders' information that doesn't get out the way it needs to. And I think that's a lot of, uh, of the issues that we have with our veterans, both and male counterparts is the information about how the best manner in which to approach uh, veterans across the board, but more specifically on what it is that a veteran should be given respect across the board because many veterans think they're being disrespected because of what they've done in service. And by them not having the information they need, and not being able to simulate that information the way they need to receive it, it creates a bottleneck 
and a catch-22 on both sides. So Sheila uh, is a really good friend. She knows her stuff, and I wanted to bring her on so that, uh, which is vastly um, amazing, she can kind of give her opinion on what it is that we're missing and how to properly address that, especially with the female veterans here in D.C. Well, why don't we go and bring Sheila on, folks? I'd like to introduce to you Ms. Sheila Scarborough, and welcome, Sheila, to AMBETS Radio. And thank you so much for letting me join in. Well, why not? This is a family affair, honey. Welcome to AMBETS <laughs> Radio. Now you know what you see, what you get. Uh, I have a wealth of information. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, uh, let me give you a little bit. A little background on me. I'm a 26-and-a-half-year vet. I retired in 2007. Um, in 2012, I also was homeless. And for about maybe about eight months, uh, a couple of veterans that one was my uh, one of my comrades. Uh-oh, did we lose her now? Sheila, looks like we might have lost Sheila now. Boy, I'll tell you, this topic has got to be good. For this much technical issue, we got to be striking a chord somewhere. Oh, wait. wait. Hold on. Are you there, Sheila? Oh, her phone's cutting out. Well, Antoine, go ahead and fill the hole, brother, so we can get her back on until she's. Sure, sure. So um, the work the work that we, we're doing here at AMVETS now kind of preceded with the transitional housing facility at U.S. Vets that uh, we all kind of met at. Um, so a lot of the issues that we've seen is the information is just not being dissimulated the right way, and it's, I don't think it's, you know, anyone's fault for how it's being dissimulated, but when we have an epidemic of those who are proud of what they've done in the military and they want to do it their way, uh, some want the information, but the information is very hard to acquire. Um, VA, uh, DOD, uh, the active parts of our military branches, there's a lot of uh, compartmentalization when it comes to the homelessness for veterans. And I think it is set up for people to, you know, fight on their own. But when those can't fight for their own and they don't have that voice to actually uh, acquire the resources, the benefits that they need to get off the street, that I think it creates the depression, it creates the PTSD, it, it starts to bring up all of those feelings, that service and combat we brought, you know, into our psyche. So it kind of, it, it brings on a repetitive nature of what we originally went through in service. So I think the education piece, um, what we do at AMVETS, uh, we take pride in that, especially our posts and working with the national office is we, we are in the process of, you know, building a strategy to identify why there's so many homeless veterans here in the D.C. area specifically and what we can do as a post and as uh, a, you know, a 
nonpartisan organization to help our federal veterans across the country. And our social media presence, uh, we've had people reach out to us uh, over cyberspace to enlist our assistance, even though we may not be in our neck of the woods, we may not be in their region, they actually reach out to us, and then we use that social media presence to feed that back into national and to create a platform where we can have an open conversation because I think that's where it needs to begin is having the conversation on what it is that we believe is creating that problem and then putting together a, you know, three, four point, you know, platform on what we need to do to address that, that issue. Uh, so that's something that we are taking very seriously at AMBEST and something that uh, Commander Herrera can definitely attest to when he comes on, that we're definitely putting our foot down and letting our voice be heard on behalf of all our homeless veterans. Now, Sheila's call finally just dropped, which means she's going to call back in. So in the meantime, let okay. me do – oh, here she is. Hold on. Oh, here we go. All right. We, we, got, you, we got you back, Sheila. Hold on. Sheila, you there? Sheila? Oh, well, dang it. We are just plagued with technical difficulties today. Well, but it, it has, our system's working fine. It's the cell phone connection. It's the connection between that we're struggling with. But listen, you know me. I just got to keep rolling. So why don't we do this? Let me uh, – hey, Sheila? Let me turn her mic off. Let's see, you turn it back on. This is exciting, man. You gotta love technology, right? I think she's being prompted to hit to hit a number. She's saying it shouldn't be. Hey, Sheila. Yeah, she's on. Asking. Well, well. In the meantime. She actually doesn't have to. She's logged in already, but I, I'm not sure what the issue is. But why don't we go ahead and bring Orlando on? Because, again, I like bringing everybody on. Welcome to the show, Orlando. You're next. I hope you don't have technical issues here. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I, thank every, I, I thank you guys for having me on the show. And okay. – uh, just just very quickly, I just want to wish Anvets happy birthday, even though it was yesterday. Um, and, uh, you know, many more birthdays to come. And with that, moving forward, I just wanted to speak on, you know, what's going on as far as homelessness on my end and what we're doing at Post 12, um, you know, to work on this out here in the D.C. area. Um, you know, I'm a, a veteran from um, that really never saw combat, but the incident that sparked a lot of our combat, you know, after um, Vietnam is the Beirut bombing. So, um, which caused me to... Um, you know, have the you know the PTSD that I do have, have my you know go through social issues and things of that nature. But um, that also presented itself into me being homeless, and 
And it, it was kind of difficult because I spent 16 years um, being homeless between New York, California, Texas, and even here in D.C. Um, you know, so it wasn't easy. Um, it wasn't easy having a job, uh, you know, and not having enough to go ahead and get an apartment, um, you know, to have a place to live. Yeah, I, I could go ahead and pay for my food. Yes, I could go ahead and put suits on my back and things of that nature. But, you know, just to have a roof over my head, that was, you know, very difficult. Um I mean, I can honestly say that last year was the first time in 16 years that I have my own place, um, that I was actually able to sign a lease and say, hey, this is home. Um, so I understand a lot of what, you know, the veterans that are out there in the streets every day are going through. Uh, it's not easy. Um, you know, some, you know, panhandles, some got to go ahead and, you know, scrape for food, uh, which I've done as well, you know, and and try to figure out where they're going to take their next shower, if they want to take a next, you know, a shower, where the, you know, they want to go ahead and seek out medical attention, uh, whether they want to receive any help, you know, all that stuff I've been through. And, um, you know, and even though I've had relationships, those relationships were going to be, you know, they were just going to fall apart because until I was able to go ahead and get myself together, those relationships were never going to work. And that's even with my own children. So, uh, you know, it, it was kind of interesting that after spending all these years in New York, I finally went to California. Um, I spent five years there being homeless and not getting any kind of help. I mean, it, it was, you know, I felt something was wrong, yeah, but it was like, okay, let me see if I could go ahead and get some help from folks here, you know, in California, and that never worked out for me for the five years that I was there. Um, after a short stint so over finding, in Texas. So really quick, uh, so finding help was the issue. You couldn't find it, and you were looking well, for uh, it. And, in California, I decided to go ahead and find help based on a relationship that I was in. Um, the person kept okay. on telling me that I needed to get help. And, you know, I, I was tired of people telling me that because I was like, hey, I don't see anything wrong with me. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, I just go about my business and, you know, and I take everything with a grain of salt and move forward. I mean, that's, you know, there's the objective. Let me go ahead and get to that objective. And that's it. You know, uh, my days and nights were spent as though I was at war, um, just trying to get to an objective. And the, the objective was to go ahead and last that night or that day to the next. And so, you know, I, like I said, I understand what a lot of the, you know, men and women are going through. Because they, you know, it's kind of difficult trying to go ahead and and saying, okay, first off, I I don't think there's anything wrong with me, and if they do understand there's something wrong with them, now how do you trust somebody to help you to go ahead and get you off the street, to help you with the services that you need, to have you know, to help you get a, a decent meal, um, you know, so it's it, it's just. 
something that, you know, it, it breaks my heart because it's like, you know, I didn't understand that I was actually there until I got to D.C. and found myself in a situation where I was antisocial. I, I don't do well with people in groups. Um, I still have anxiety when I go into places that have a lot of people. Um, Antoine has helped me uh, immensely in trying to get, you know, through that. You know, because it's like, okay, he knows the triggers. So it's like if something is going wrong, you know, he knows to let me know, look, it's time for you to walk and go somewhere um, or let's leave or whatever the case may be. A lot of, you know, a lot of folks don't have that. So, you know, for me, it's always been, and, and the thing, I'm, I'm a social worker of 33 years, okay? Um, you know, I spent, I spent 33 years helping everybody and not helping myself. You know, I'm now working at my doctorate, you know, to help to continue helping people. And I, you know, I had a hard time helping myself. So um, with the now, help of Antoine, with the, with the help of Sheila, I've been able to go ahead and move forward. Let's go ahead now and talk about some of that, because you mentioned about some triggers. Antoine, your mic is back on, brother. What were some of the things he was experiencing, and what advice did you give him to help him through that? Well, um, you know, uh, we were with Beth uh, at pretty kind of made it like at home, and I'm – I believe really good, and God has given me a, a good toll to kind of get to the soul who they are. I believe anyone shot them. Everyone has a story, land of story, although it's a very, very unique place. A lot of people didn't understand that. By any chance, do you have the radio? Hold on. I, I hate to interrupt you, but I'm getting a really bad echo. Do you have the radio show or anything playing in the background? Because I'm, I'm getting a really bad echo from you. I don't know if it's you're on, we're on speaker or what it is, but what you're saying I'm not completely hearing, and, and I, I want to make sure that those that are listening can hear exactly what you're saying. Okay, I, I just made this to the Do you hear that, Alex, or is it just me? I hear it, too, Murray. Hold on, let me check in. You're not by any chance sitting in the room with Orlando, are you? Because <laughs> it's possible it could be coming from his phone. Hold on, let me see. No, I, I have headphones on right now, so that's uh. Oh, now that's it's good. Now it's good. Okay, now oh, it's okay. good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Go back a little bit. I hate to do that to you, but what you were saying was important. Okay. Okay. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah. So. So, uh, you know, Orlando came to me, uh, the management figured that, you know, I was pretty good with everyone with the veterans there, and they figured that I could uh, help Orlando kind of, um, you know, I want to say fit in because, you know, we're all veterans and we all come from different walks of life. But I, I think I was able to kind of, uh, you know, be a friend 
uh, be a confident. And since I do, you know, I'm a Navy guy, so I've I've rolled with a lot of Marines from a lot of different walks of life. So it, to me, it wasn't, you know, taking charity on them. It was more of, you know, he's a veteran that needs to be consoled, needs to have someone that understands where he's coming from. So I, I believe that I was able to do that with a lot of veterans at U.S. Vets, and I think that's how me, Sheila, and Orlando got along very well. So um, mm-hmm. I don't think it was any particular manual or, you know, instruction book that I really used to, to connect with Orlando. I think we just kind of connected because we're two veterans that kind of saw eye to eye from the beginning. So I, I think that kind of helped and uh, getting to know where he came from and, you know, what what issues he, he, he had in his past. I just used my, my, uh, my personality and getting to know him to kind of just walk him through kind of what I've done to adjust um, in what I've done. Um, and we kind of just clicked from the very beginning. So I think it was just a natural meeting of the minds. I think that's the best way to kind of put it. Now, Sheila's back on. Let me see if I can get her back on again. She's been connected for a while, so we're good. Sheila, you there, dear? Sheila? I still don't have her. I see her on, but either she her mic's not on or something. I'm going to keep her mind, mic on in case she happens to come back. Now, Josh, I know you're still on. You've heard some of this conversation. Um, go ahead and just chime in, man, if you've got any thoughts or, or, or comments. Um, yeah, Orlando, uh, what he was saying, like, I just think it's so important to tell our stories to uh, other veterans and stuff because his story was not too far from what mine was. Uh, it, you know, it was I had been told there was issues with me, and I refused to accept it and refused to acknowledge that PTSD was a real thing. That was a big issue for me. And after you know, I mean, several failed relationships, being homeless for six months, and then you know, after all that, and I was like, you know what, I'm coping. I'm I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing fine. Yes, I'm not doing good relationships, but I just kind of. I kind of threw it away as like, you know, hey, everybody has relationship problems. And um, everybody drinks, you know, every now and then or quite a bit and stuff. And I was drinking about a fifth a fifth a day just to go to bed. And I I figured since all my bills were paid, I didn't have a problem. You know, that's, that was kind of my mindset. It's like when you, you have a problem when you start spending your money that should go to bills or something important on booze or whatever else. And for me, it was drinking was the my go-to and um it was the marines and the, the army guys and the other navy guys that was there uh that were in the circle that kept knocking on my door that saw that i had issues that saw that i was going down a bad road and just you know they told their story and just like orlando was telling his and it was and they never pushed me to tell mine and I, it it prompted me to tell my story eventually because their stories were so much identical to mine, and you know it's it's not easy. And and it's, and I I tell my story. I there's parts of it that I still get like you know choked up about, um, but I try to push myself to tell it a lot, of, even when it's on the on a on a bad day, just because I know that some that my story 
just like those guys' story did to me and changed the path that I was on to change someone else's path. And I think it's very important for us to tell our stories as much as possible uh, to each other uh, because I I knew that there's other veterans out there suffering. It's, you know, I got it. I just kind of dismissed it. But when you actually sit down and have a veteran tell their story and you realize that your story is really not that much different, you know, a lot of times it's just the dates have changed. You know, maybe it's a different war, but it, every one of those guys that I was that I was living with in that area, and that because I lived, you know, I moved into a, an RV campground and found out, you know, that all across the United States there's these RV campgrounds that veterans are living in permanently, and they've created their own self-help group. And Community for Heroes is basically, you know, trying to replicate that experience, put a red beacon on it. So that everyone knows about it, so they're not stumbling on it like I did. And I don't—I say stumbling, but the Lord put me there. Um, I know He did, because it's changed the course of my life, and all the suffering and all the pain and doubt that I had, and questioning the Lord, and and and, and not understanding why I was going through what I went through uh, to end up where I'm at today. It, I couldn't have done it unless I went through those things. So I thank the Lord for it, and he has a purpose. He has a reason. You just may not always see it right in front of you right at that moment. So I think it's very important that we tell our stories and give thanks for it to do. Alex, you got any uh, questions, comments, thoughts? Well, you know I always have something, Perry. (laughs) Well, you are my devil's advocate. I mean, you're here for a reason. Go ahead, brother. Well, one thing that was discussed, and then uh, I, I definitely want to ask it. First of all, Ant, Ant, Antoine Orlando, amazing job what you're doing in D.C. I really appreciate that, and I definitely want to talk to you afterward about what we're doing here in Tennessee because, you know, it seems like we are both working on the same goal but at two different ends, and I'd like to connect them and see if we could make something work that encompasses the full spectrum. But uh, absolutely. one thing that we talked, one thing that we talked about that I, I want to double tap on is the ease of access. Now, a lot of this paperwork for entitlements and benefits, even when it comes to housing for homeless veteran, is written in this sort of legal ease that the VA comes up with, or a lot of these organizations come up with that it's really hard to navigate through. And especially if you don't know what you're looking for and if you've been defeated and turned away by some of these other organizations. And I, I want to double tap on that. And I also want to talk about the amount of time it takes to get a veteran into housing, not just transitional housing, but a house of their own, a house of their own. And when it, even in getting them into transitional housing, the time it takes to get them prepared for that. So wh- whoever would like to speak on that, Please feel ahead. Um, well, from my experience, on my here in, in White County, uh, Cookville, in the Upper Coleman area, is uh, the Community for Heroes. When we first got here, the national average uh, at the time was uh, 60 to 90 days once the veteran's been identified uh, on the street to get them into just the transitional housing. Uh, Cookville and Crossville and the areas, stuff like that, were doing a little bit better. They were doing about 30 to 60. And, uh, and I'm very proud to say all but two we've done in 14 days. Um, 
Now, how many hours would that be per day? Oh, well. Uh, of actual, like, working on getting them into it? Uh, I would say, because I do bounce around, I would say I, with one veteran in a 14-day 14, 14 period, you're looking at at least a minimum, on a very minimum side, three hours a day, about three times a week. So about, you know, in, in basically 18 hours, uh, and the reason it's 18 hours is because there's a wait time for things. So we do what we can with them. And the biggest thing is driving them around and get things done uh, because there's, there's just not that kind of transportation around. And uh, that's why Community for Heroes has been successful uh, getting them in a, a place faster because we go ahead and we pay for the driver's license to get that done. We pay for the birth certificate to get it sit down here. We take them to the VSO office to get them a... Uh, uh, we got a radio. That's we got something. <laughs> hey, yeah. l- listen. At this point, that's all good, brother. Go ahead. Uh, it was just, uh, just mainly that just getting, being able to act, get action. Now I'm thinking doing on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> now it's now it's just on purpose. Well, this is... It's yeah. <laughs> apparently Liberace doesn't want us to talk about this. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, but I think the biggest thing is that we've, we've been had access to those abilities to actually get people the money for those things, and driving them has what what's been giving us the ability to get people in places at four, in fourteen days. And, so, and now, do and you actually day, drive them yourself, or do you pay for a trip? No, I, I drive them myself. I have okay. A, I. I that's on Antoine's line, by the way. I just found out. <laughs> okay. And Antoine, you got Liberace uh, in the background with you. I had to mute you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, you know, two months ago, my uh, my transportation broke down, and that's what I was taking them in. And I was able to uh, buy a, a truck that I'm making payments on now. It's a little four-door Dakota, and that's what I use to because I can put more in it. And I also, when they get furniture, when we get furniture and stuff, we get them in a place because. That's the biggest issue. You know, they get dropped off, and they're like, hey, you got a place, and people just forget. They're like, okay, they got a place, and I'm done. And, uh, well, we continue to work with them and get them because, like, we had a 67-year-old Vietnam vet who was sleeping on a floor in a place. He lived there. He was living there for a month. Uh, They finally told me about him, and we went and got him a bed, a couch. Uh, um, He had a washer and dryer that's a communal in the apartment area, but we got him couch and, and a, a bed and dresser and, and stuff like that and and uh, some towels and soap and and we were able to get that for him in, this, in that one day period over the course of I think it was I think it took us about four hours to get everything together. But uh, now, that, are you guys currently filled up in your transitional housing unit? Well, we don't have transitional housing, so what we're utilizing is what is out there and available. So what we find an apartment, we find whatever we can right now until we get land. Now, once we get land, we'll have transitional housing. We'll have a emergency housing because my goal is with the emergency housing, no questions asked. First, de- you know, when we find out you're there, you're off the street. Um, and that's, that's where we're trying to find that five acres so we can actually start building that. But uh, as of right now, we're utilizing – what is out here to us, like apartment buildings and, and rental houses and stuff like that, and working with different 
um, uh, personnel, so to speak, that will work with us. Or let me see if I can get Sheila on. By the way, hold on. Let me let me uh, let me see if I can get it because we've got everybody's connected. Hold on. Oh, now she's gone now. Okay. Whoa, Dan's okay. Mm -hmm. Dan's here. Hold on. I do want to bring on before you. Well, hold hold on. Let me see if I can. All right, Orlando. I got you back on, brother. You got anything on that? Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting because it's on my end here in D.C. Um, I, I was in transitional housing, and it was kind of at first few days was kind of rough for me, but you know, working with Antoine, it wound up getting better, and everything was fine. Not everybody will go ahead and get that type of help. Um. So what I've seen in the in the two years that I've been here, um, one is that it gets to be kind of interesting um, how organizations help our veterans. Um, you know, there's plenty of housing within D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, but there's a lottery for um, for the vast vouchers. You know, so it's a matter of whatever agency, you know, could go ahead and get their hands on it. They could go ahead and provide, you know, the the vouchers to the veterans. Well, we have 1,100 agencies just in the in D.C. alone to help our veterans, and that becomes a problem because everybody's fighting to go ahead and get these vouchers to help them out and veterans fall between the cracks. Um, veterans don't want to get the help. You know, they they become picky all of a sudden. They want, you know, uh, a one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartment, or they want a house, and it's like, how about just getting off the streets first and then we can go ahead and try to move forward? Um, you know, they want to be in a particular neighborhood, you know, and, you know, I look at it as, okay, You've been on the streets all this time, so the neighborhood that you've been in, which is the streets in general, is already hostile. So why don't you just go ahead and get into some place that makes you safe, and then we can go ahead and move forward. But that doesn't happen as well. Um, And then we have those within transitional housing that sort um, sort of put up a wall or you know, they tend to hold back veterans from moving forward. I mean, I know veterans right now in transitional housing that are there two years and now they're being kicked out because, you know, they say, oh, well, it's, you know, you're over the time limit. Well, as I remember it correctly, that um, that 60 to 90 days, you know, they should be already helping you trying to find a place. Because here in D.C., uh, what winds up happening, once they find you, within 48 hours, you are to be in transitional housing. So, and that works out fine. Because now, within that time, you can get them off the street. You know, sometimes that same day, you know, after you're done with the paperwork and everything else and everything looks fine, boom, you can go ahead and get them in transitional housing and it's great. 
But 60 to 90 days after that is when um, you should be already, that agency should already be working on having them housed in their own place. But that's not the case. You know, um, it almost becomes a cash cow, so to speak, because, and there's nothing against Josh and what he's doing, because what, what, you know, what he's doing is great. You know, but it's the agencies because I we have so many here that it's like okay, well if we could go ahead and get these veterans, and because the VA is paying us, let's go ahead and just say well we helped out one veteran, and now the other six to twelve veterans we're gonna hold on to until sixty to ninety days later, and then we'll help one more, and we keep it going like that, and it's it's really rough for me to you know. Um, hold on to that that type of mentality that they got going on because it's like uh, no, that's not what's supposed to be happening. You know, right. it, you have to be able to go ahead and say, okay, you've been out on the streets all this time. Let's get you in your own place. Transitional housing is just a temporary thing, and that's Correct. all it is. You know. But that's not the way it's seen here. So with myself, with with Antoine, you know, the rest of Post 12, with National, we're looking to go ahead and break that, you know, where it's like, okay, these are the guidelines. We need you guys to follow these guidelines. If we If you don't follow these guidelines, then, hey, maybe we should let everybody know what you're all about and, you know, put them on blast, as they would say. Uh- and, you know, I, I, and it'd be like, go ahead. I'd like to make one, one comment because one of my, uh, our program outline is, uh, so they get in, when we take them off the street, we have an emergency housing for 30 days. That emergency housing is basically, it's kind of, you know, like the old military dorms, but instead of having multiple bunks in one room, each veteran has their own room and it's temporary for 30 days. And if that 30 days is when we start going through the whole process of paperwork. Um, yes, our housing is transitional, but it's also, uh, I guess, long-term up to three years. If, if, But it's what we're trying to do instead of a standard is, for us anyway, is while they're there in transitional, we're, we have banks and other uh, places that are coming in and teaching uh, credit, how to work with credit history and jobs, um, uh, like construction companies. They're coming in teaching basic construction classes. And then when they teach them that class and they need someone, because right now a big thing for us in this area is construction, um, they can actually, oh, I've already trained this guy. I know what he, know- he knows. He's shown it to me. I'm going to take him and hire him and pulling that from the veteran pool. But, like, for us, that's, I guess we w- I would love to see them in 90 days or 60 or less in their own place. Here they end up in their own place. It's they're still renting. What we're trying to do is actually right. have them needing something to own. That's right. What, yeah. I, I guess, which, would, which would be great. Which, which would be great. Right. And that's yeah. something I'm trying to do. Uh, you know, it's that's. But uh, I guess the only reason I right now we get them in. It's when I say we get them into a place to stay, they're getting into apartments and houses that they rent. Right. Uh, most of them. 
the ones that are transitional, they still within the 30 days they get put in permanent. But um, but I'm just kind of curious, like, because I get where you're coming from. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. If they're not, if they're not helping that veteran to better themselves while they're in transitioning, then they need to put them in something permanent. And, well, and you know, I mean, there 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 are some there are some agencies that have what I call uh, little mini programs where they'll help them, you know, working on their resumes, um, you know, or they'll go ahead and, and send a bunch of them out to a job fair, you know, things of that nature, you know, and. Uh-oh, where do you go? Hello? Well, if we want to Orlando, I'll, I'll fill in a little bit. I mean, one of the things Hold that on. we found here in the nope. Okay, go go ahead, Orlando. I don't know what happened, but uh, you know, one of the the problems that I you know that frustrates me a lot is that I uh, say, for example, I I came into transitional housing um, May of last year. Well, no. Uh, May of 2016, I came into transitional housing. Uh, I left shortly after, um, and then I wound up being placed in another transitional housing facility, uh, which better suited me. But uh, the thing is that here is the people that I've known in, say, for example, U.S. Vets. Here it is. I'm in my own place over a year now. But they're still at US Vets. And I'm like, what's going on? Yeah, they're just as hungry as I am to go ahead and get out there and have their own place. But something something is happening. You know, somebody, somebody's dropping the ball here. And it's even worse for women because women are not really getting the help that they actually need. You know, they're being told, oh, find an apartment. Let me know about it, and then let's see what we could go ahead and do. Okay, yes, but if that. you're telling me to do that, do you have a voucher for me so I could go ahead and let them know that I have a voucher? If not, then why am I going out there? Why am I going to spending my own money to get out there? You know, and some are going into Maryland. Some are going into Virginia to go ahead and find housing. Why am I doing that? And you're not assisting me. You're just telling me, okay, go out there, which a lot of these agencies do, you know. And it's like, why are you not helping them? Some of them don't know, you know. Um, they're not Washingtonians. You know, a lot of the veterans that are here in D.C. are not from, you know, Washington, D.C. They came from other states. So they've had to you know, they found out the hard way how to go ahead and navigate. And some of them still don't know. So what they do is it's like, okay, well, then I'll just go ahead and sit in transitional housing until they kick me out. And then I'll just, you know, wind up back out on the street or on somebody's couch or something of the sort. And, you know, I look at it as why. Why are we still going through that, you know, that cycle? You know, we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to go ahead and have a veteran come in and here it is, if after 120 days max, they're not, you know, nothing has happened, then 
the agency or the program needs to reassess and find out what's going on, why they, you know, this veteran is not in their own place. Not to go ahead and say, we'll just hold, mm. go ahead and hold on to them. You know, just because we're getting a per diem from the VA, let's hold on to him and, and make our money and we'll help him out. You know, we just keep on saying that he refuses help. No, maybe uh, he's not refusing help. But, you know, that's no. that's what goes on. Now, now I just got a message. Um, it looks like Sheila's back on. I think she's calling from a different phone number. Let me find out. Hey, Sheila, is, is this you, 240813? No, no, this is Rose. Okay, okay, hold on. I apologize. Hold on. Thank you. Sure. Uh, Rose was another. Uh, uh, Rose was another alumni from uh, U.S. Vets. I had the problem is is I've got two phone numbers from two different people. She was in the 240 area code. I only have 1204, but it's 813, and that's not her. Is she calling? Hold on, Sarah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm in the queue. Hello? Well, I just heard you. I hear you. I hear you, too. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what's God. wrong with this phone. Listen, obviously, but that's okay. Let's keep going. Welcome back. Thank you. I want to, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, one thing I want to touch on with Orlando is that we found here in the Middle Tennessee area with what we're doing out of Post 45 between Clarksville and Nashville, they, one, it's a lot of these places have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to alcohol or substances. And a lot of the vets that we're getting from this region have alcohol or substance abuse issues. And they will, on the first, they will have to breathalyze before coming into transitional housing and each time they come in. And a lot of these vets fail that and get kicked back out in the street. And one of their criteria to get back in is they have to go through a substance abuse class. Well, that doesn't always take effect. So now they're going through a 13-day 13, uh, uh, program to detox and all that. And then they're coming back, and then they're back in it, and they relapse because they're around other vets that are using again. And so right. that is one thing that we've found is a huge problem, and that really slows down the transitional housing process because you could get them in, and then within the first three days they call us like, hey, we have to kick him out. He, he, he had alcohol in his system when he came in, or he had something in his system when he came in, so we have to kick him out, and he can't come back until we get him through a substance abuse course. And that's one thing that really delays the process. And, you know, Buffalo Valley is one of the best ones that we have found, and that's all the way in Hohenwald. There's one in Clarksville, but it's almost always full. And so it's, it's, a, it's a cycle of in and out of transitional housing, and it stops our, our progress moving forward to getting them the house of their own. Because, you know, they're getting evicted from transitional housing. So you have to get them back into an emergency shelter, which is our priority to make sure they're not on the street before we can even move forward getting them a house of their own. Yeah, and I think uh, Sheila would be um, the right person to speak on that even more so because she's done a lot of the outreach and uh, and has worked with the veterans in that capacity. So um, I think I'm going to let her take the floor on that one. I 
agree with everything he said. Um, one of the, the problems is when these organizations have these transitional houses, they are putting them in neighborhoods where there's a liquor store on one block, two blocks, three blocks away. There's drugs being sold in that area. So when those veterans come in, that's, that's a trigger point for them. You know, that's not helping them. If it was me and I had a transition to housing, it would be on the outside of the suburbs where they couldn't get to a liquor store, they couldn't get to a drug corner, and that's the problem. All Just about all the organizations here in D.C. are in areas where there are trigger points, where there's liquor stores on the corner from where they live and there's drugs being um, sold. Now, to get to the voucher part, the way the VA has the vouchers set up, when that individual comes into our program, when we bring them in to do an assessment, they are asked 50 questions. It's either yes or no. Now, when I first started doing it, I, I really didn't understand how they come to the conclusion who gets a voucher, where they get a voucher according to a score. It asks you questions like, "Have you ever been? Uh, have you been in the emergency room in the last 90 days? Yes or no? Okay, somebody say no. Okay, they don't get a point for that. Uh, have you ever been robbed? Uh, some say no, I haven't been robbed while living on the street. So okay, that's another point they can't get. So they must score a 25 or over in order to get qualified." for a voucher, and which is ridiculous because some of the health issues that a lot of them had, we had people with stage four cancer that didn't even get a voucher. And I thought that was so wrong. But that question does not match up with the veterans. And this is a standard questionnaire that they give every veteran that comes into their organization program. And if you score less than a 25, okay, then you qualify for SSBF, which is supported uh, services for veterans and families, in which they will assist you in putting you either in a rooming house where they will pay the deposit and three to six months rent, hoping that within that six months period that you are able to find a job. Or their, um, if you're a family, we used to put them up in hotels when they, when they, when a family was homeless. They stopped doing that. Why I do not know. Because um, of funding. So we right, it's the funding. So therefore, we couldn't help the the families. They're sleeping in the car, you know. And VA is very slow on who gets a voucher. What they do, they have a meeting every Monday. They go into a meeting, and they look at everybody's score, every veteran's scores from all the organizations in the city. The ones that score higher, 25 or over, are the ones that get the vouchers. So you pretty much have to answer yes on that questionnaire. All those questions, answer yes. Because they don't they don't go and research and see if you've been to the hospital or, or none of that stuff, you ever been robbed or you've been threatened or anything like that. All they go by is the answers that you give that gives those points. 
which is wrong because you have a lot of people that come in with different types of illness. You got people with PTSD. You have people with cancer. You know, and a person with cancer shouldn't even be living in a transition housing. That should be a number one priority right there to get that person housed. This man had a family. He was separated from his family. His family, his wife and kids had to go to a, another shelter, and he came into our shelter. When it comes to food, they all, uh, they used to the U.S. vets used to feed them hot breakfast and hot dinner. They went from um, giving them hot breakfast down to a, a, a Spunk Meyer muffin, a choice between a, a Spunk Meyer muffin or a child-sized cereal and a child-sized juice. That's what their breakfast consists of now. Some of the food is catered to them. Uh, they have a catering company that brings food for their dinners. And they have been served a lot of starch, more starch than vegetables, you know. And they have the funding. They have gotten funding from Home Depot three times. They have gotten $50,000 three times from Home Depot telling Home Depot they're going to put a, a kitchen down there. Well, they can't put a kitchen down there because the buildings that uh, that they are leasing, the owner would not allow them to put a, a, a kitchen in there. So they are telling VA, they told the VA director, yes, we can ready to put a kitchen down there, but they, they haven't done that. They can't do it because they leasing. They don't own that building. But therefore, these veterans, you know, they have to, you know, they they're not getting uh, adequate breakfast. A lot of them have high blood pressure, sugar heart problems and stuff, they're not getting a well-balanced breakfast in the morning nor a well-balanced uh, well dinner, you know, and they're supposed to accept that. When they go to the director and complain, um, he said, well, we don't, we're we doing um, a continental breakfast. A continental breakfast even has, have eggs and bacon or sausage or, you know, toast and whatnot. They don't even get that. So what they're doing, the money that they get, they're not putting it back into the veterans. They're putting that money in other in, in other things. And when I worked there, I didn't know until the, the ED secretary, before she left, you know, left U.S. Vets, she said that they were paying my salary and, a, and another person's salary out of the funding that the Department of Labor gives them to use to those for those veterans to get things like nurses' license or gun license or training and uniforms, they're misappropriating um, funds. That's that's yeah, that's total that's total fraud right there. Yeah. So, wow, Alex, can you believe that? You see, I I, I can Terry. I mean, it's sad that a lot of organizations do that. I I, I it doesn't one minute um, escape the realm of possibility for me. Uh, I mean, oh, and what you don't hear is a lot of these transitional housings, if, like I said, you have a substance abuse issue and you have that zero tolerance, if you have alcohol in your breath or substance in your system, it won't take you back for another six months. That's true. Well, the thing, one, of the the, topics, the, the, yeah. one of the topics that was brought up had to do with children, and we have somebody on who messaged me who said to me that she wanted to bring this up and talk about this. So let me bring into the conversation a friend of AMBETS Radio, 
She is a vet, of course. Her name is Vanessa Dillon. Vanessa, now's your chance, my dear. Let's talk about what you mentioned. I think it's a great time for it. Thank you, Perry. Um, My my question was, uh, what is being done for veterans with children? Um, Myself, uh, myself and my three youngest children, when, when we were homeless, we were fortunate enough to find a shelter to take us in for 45 days. The fact that I was a veteran was never acknowledged. I didn't receive assistance other than we had a roof over our head for 45 days. At the end of that 45 days, we were told we had to leave. Um, I was able to find a room that I subletted from someone for six months until I was able to find us more temporary or more permanent housing. Um, but there were no vouchers. There was no, uh, no assistance for training. Um, nothing. Well, I could speak to the Middle Tennessee area. And one thing that's going on with Middle Tennessee area is that whether you're a veteran or not, if you have a family, because there's only so much space for family living in temporary housing, it doesn't matter whether you're a veteran or not, it's first come, first serve. And that's truly a shame because, you know, it, it contributes to our veteran homelessness. But because they have so much limited space that whether you're a veteran or not, it's first come, first serve for housing for families. See, this is exactly what Community for Heroes has been trying to set here. Basically, everything you've been talking about tonight is stuff that we're trying to address here. I mean, even the food problem, like USDA will give grants for veterans to do a veteran's garden and stuff, and and they will let you sell it to grocery stores, which we're trying to have inside our facility. It's on the grocery store, but the food gets utilized to feed them a healthy breakfast, a healthy uh, healthy dinner and lunch and stuff. And it's just everything that we keep we're talking about, and we go and you know going over and, and bouncing back between each other is just phenomenal because it's for me it's just what we've been trying to push to do here with Community for Heroes and find the solution to those problems. And um, for us, it's the, the, the big thing that, you know, the poverty, the Nashville is sending uh, veteran vouchers to Cookville. Knoxville is doing the same thing because there's no affordable living down there, uh, and they mm-hmm. are in the ghetto. And, huh? No, I was agreeing with you. Oh, I yeah. was agreeing uh, yeah. with you. They're sending them to Cookville, and and I'm trying to get Community for Heroes up and running before this happens because I think that having a designated community for veterans, and I'm hoping that the civilian sector will uh, follow suit. I'm talking to another guy who is trying to do the same thing, but on the civilian side, um, trying to do the same thing, basically have that designated community that is just for getting people back on their feet so that there's no drugs and slums and having the counselors, because there's grants out there to get the money if it's spent correctly and having the oversight to make sure that it is being done, making sure that these veterans are not just getting some substances and then, and then forgotten about, making sure these veterans are daily talked to if possible, and it doesn't even have to be daily. Like I don't – I talk to mine about three times a week usually, and I'm one person 
taking care of roughly, you know, on a given week, anywhere from five to twenty veterans. And I think one of the I think one of the problems is with these organizations, you don't have enough trained people to take on veterans. They know nothing about veterans. It was only two of us that work at USFETS that was veteran, myself and a, and, and a gentleman. And we was the only two that was vets. So the veterans would rather come talk to us than to go talk to the civilians because they, they, they say the social worker doesn't understand me, the clinical director doesn't understand me. And how can you have a clinical director that is not licensed? They brought on a young man that had no training working with veterans. He was unlicensed. I've seen him turn people away within five minutes of walking into our building that was referred to us from VA, the CRR Center, sent them over to come into our program, and then he comes downstairs and say, I don't think Mr. Smith is good for the program. And I'm like, why? Uh, He's 74 years old. But the man can walk and talk on his own. He don't have any health issues. But you turned that man away, and you put you sent him back out into the street. And that's the problem. They don't have enough qualified people. In order to run these organizations, they need to be run by veterans because only veterans understand veterans. And like I told my coworkers, the first 15 minutes is the most important time between you and that veteran when you sit down to talk to them. You know their past, you know their present, and you know their future, where they're trying to get to. But a lot and you of also can earn their listen. trust. You can either earn yeah. or lose their you trust in gain, that first 15 minutes. You have to gain their trust. And they'll tell you, Miss Sheila, you know, I showed you really helped me a lot. I've had vets come in that didn't have no ID, no ID whatsoever. So I had to put on my case manager hat and, hand, you know, take them to every place that they need to get a, 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 a ID card, you know, or a birth certificate, stuff that the Which social workers could take workers forever. Do. Yes. Yes. So I have to fake like I'm a social worker to get the, to get them to help them get the documents they need in order to get an ID. When the social workers that that the organization is paying for are not doing it, because you, you know I used to get in get trouble for housing. Right, I used to get in trouble for going that extra mile to help veterans, and the reason why is because I've been told I wear my feelings on my sleeve. But first of all, I'm a veteran, always going to be a veteran. To the day I die, and I do whatever I can to help any veteran out here that's homeless. You know, and and, and that's why I got relieved from my job last year because I knew too much. They thought I was telling VA about them embezzling money, so they fired me. But I still go um, back. I still go back and see some of my veterans to make sure they're all right. If they need anything, you know, I, I take them wherever they need to go to go get it because U.S. Vets has failed them. It has failed a lot of them. I see a lot of repeaters come back into that program because they got evicted. They didn't have a job. Why would you set that person up to go live in, in an a apartment and they don't have a job? And then you don't, you're not giving them any food. You don't give them a bed. 
to sleep on when they move in. They have no furniture whatsoever. But they tell them, you get your vouchers, don't worry about it. We'll buy you a bed. They don't do. They don't live up to what they had in their grant that they told the VA that they will provide for these veterans. They have now, 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 Perry, now, Perry, and Alex, uh, understand this, okay? Sheila is not a disgruntled, uh, disgruntled employee, okay? No, not. not in the, not, not in the, in the least, okay? Myself and Antoine have seen it with our own eyes, okay? everything that she's talking about, okay, which is one of the reasons why myself and Antoine are no longer there, okay, because we saw a lot, we we helped out veterans, and we made sure that if you're going to do something wrong, we're going to go ahead and put you out there, and, you know, and I was, uh, you know, I, I, myself, I didn't really care, I mean, I still to this day, you know, I'm like, hey, you guys are doing something wrong. Oh, no, no, we're not doing nothing wrong. Okay, fine. Then guess what's going to happen? I'm going to put you on blast because I already know. I already have over three dozen calls from veterans from your own facility telling me what's going on. Oh, how they get your number? Um, I'm the commander of Post 12 AMVETS. So guess what? I'm a VSO. I'm a member of a VSO, so they have the right to call me. So and they have the right to let me know what's going on with them. And that, you know, and I have to do what I can do within my power to go ahead and help them. So Sheila letting everybody know in Anvet's radio world what's going on, you know, is not is not the voice of a disgruntled employee. It's the voice of a no, of a veteran a veteran and also a you know, a former employee that has seen what goes on in the mistreatment of veterans. And, it's and I, I, would, I don't take it as a disgruntled employee because as a veteran service officer myself, as somebody who has dealt with homeless veterans, getting them in transitional housing, the, the ways that these transitional housings are run, and then a lot of them, once they get in it, will call me again and say, listen, this program is not how it's made out to be. And we'll complain about it. And I would have to go start, like, the process from day zero all over again, finding them a new transitional housing. So, and like right. Sheila says, they're set up in the ghetto. Most of them are in a downtown area where you have drugs, where you have alcohol, where, you know, you know, any, you know, let's be honest, a, a Philly blunt or is being sold at these liquor stores like it's, you know, candy. And, you know, it's, right. it's not hard to find any kind of, you know, substance that's illegal. And when you are a veteran who's homeless, now I'm not speaking from personal experience, but I've worked with enough to know this. When you're a homeless veteran you, who hasn't sought medical care, you start to self-medicate. And getting off of that medication is just like getting off of a prescription medication. You, you right. have to wean off of it. You can't go cold turkey with right. nobody helping you, getting you the resources you need to detoxify from that and to stay clean and sober. You can't have a clean and sober living environment when you're not helping them stay clean and sober. It's counterproductive. Right. Exactly. My point is that. And this, this is what goes on 
you know, I've I've been homeless. I walked in them shoes. I've lived in them facilities. Some of them are like halfway houses. You know, you feel like a prisoner. You know, mm-hmm. you have when, curfew. When you have a curfew, and and you have to go out hard. a certain you you have to be out a certain time of the day looking for job and resources on your yeah. own. Nobody's going to take you. You have to be out from like what is it, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. before they'll even let you back in? Yes, and not only that, when when we first opened up, the first day I, I had to be at work at 6 that morning. I get there, and one of the the VSO um, said, Miss um, uh we got cereal and milk, but we don't have no bowls. We don't have no utensils. So I go to the store and buy some bowls and buy some spoons so that these these veterans can have some breakfast this morning. And because I did that, I got rolled up because I did that. I had, I had my supervisor told me you didn't have to do that. So I'm like, so what are they supposed to eat cereal and milk out of their hands? You know, anything that I did that would help them, I will always get rolled up. But I will keep doing what I do because um, I always look out for my veterans. I mean, we got I to a point do. over. We we got to avoid a point at U.S. Vets where we had six veterans per apartment. Okay, and I mean it got really bad because you know you're you're putting, you're, like she mentioned before, you have uh, an unlicensed, unqualified uh, person, you know, doing doing the assessment, doing the assessment, and then, you know, you're taking a person like me that's sort of, you know, that was anti-social, anti-group, but you're putting me in a space with other veterans. How do you know I'm going to get along with those other veterans? How does, you know, how do, you know, everybody has different modes of, of PTSD, you cannot go ahead and, and lump everybody together. You know, and that and sounds US like you're vets, describing slums. It sounds like you're describing slums and slumlords. Yes, <laughs> and I I even suggested that they bring a psychiatrist in at least twice a week because we had some veterans that had jobs during the day, and sometimes people need to talk to someone. You know, they didn't want to spend the money for that. I said, well. Try some of the colleges. You know, they got people working on their thesis and and whatnot that's working in psychology. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't mind coming in and talking to veterans, you know, that need to talk to someone. They they, they didn't want to do that. Everything that I suggested that would benefit those veterans was out of the question. And Perry, I mean, I I can verify everything that they're talking about because I've seen it with my own eyes where some of these organizations are run like slums and the staff are pretty much the slum lords. They understand that what they're doing is, you know, unsafe living situations. They're overcrowded, understaffed, and they know about it, but they refuse to change it. And I I don't know if you've ever, you know, experienced this, Perry, but, you know, I'd like to get your thought on, on what your perception of this is. Well, first of all, it, it kind of makes me sick to my stomach, to be honest with you, um, that, that, that even there was no regulation or no over, oversight 
on, on how this organization is supposed to be run. I mean, obviously, uh, to put to put six veterans in in one in one area, uh, who most likely each one of them has their own issues. Uh, I'm surprised people didn't get hurt or people didn't get killed over that. So I just think overall it's sad. There has to be. But I just think, again, this goes back to – so most of this conversation, again, has been centered around individuals. And this takes me back to what Vanessa was talking about, having to do with the families that are homeless. You know, where do they go? What are they dealing with? The fact that you got written up over buying bowls is ridiculous. But if there's children involved, I mean, in in any of these – uh, uh, in any of these housing complexes, are there children also? Yes, but they're segregated. Yeah, we we had like maybe uh, anywhere from six to ten women that was in one building, and the re- and the rest were in the other three buildings. And we did have mothers that had children, and the children would come by, but then they would get rolled up if they brought the kids up in their room. So they don't have any privacy with their kids. And some shelters actually segregate families to where it's under, like, a lock and key. You need to have Mm -hmm. a specific key card to get into that section of the building. No, they don't even have a key uh, key card. They don't have a key card, but if one of the VSAs see you take someone, you know, take a child up into your to their room, then they, you know, they get rolled up about it. Rose can speak on that. Rose have children, and her children uh, used to come and visit her also. Well, wait, 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 wait. You mentioned Rose. We we have somebody on we have somebody on the phone named Rose. Who's that? Who's listening? That's, That's her. Rose. Yes. Well, I thought okay. Now, well, we're gonna have to bring Rose on because, again, I I I, that's, I didn't realize that she was along with you. Let me go ahead and uh, get her on. Let me see. Hold on. Hey, Rose, are you there? Rose, are you there? Okay, hold on. Maybe it's a different phone. We got a lot of call in. This is a very popular topic, obviously. Hold on. Yeah. I uh I, I put the mic on. Hold on. Yeah, I got two four oh six that's you. Hold on. Yes. That's, I think she was that's you. I got I I got two hold on. Let me see. Rose, is this you? Hi, hello. Can you hear me? Yay! Welcome. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Um, my well, name is Rose. He, he just mentioned you. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that, <laughs> that 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 she brought you on. If I would have known that, I would have had you on sooner. So forgive me. <laughs> no, by all means. Um, this was rather impromptu for me to uh, join in this evening. Um, thank you for for allowing me to speak. Um, Gosh, I'm not sure where to start. Right now, I am the Veteran uh, Resources Coordinator for the National Alliance to End Veteran Suicide. And what I'm trying to do is build a model of another homeless shelter program based on what not to do. Uh, My experience at U.S. Vets, 
for example, I did go to the 12-week program called uh, Substance Abuse Rehab Program at the VA. Um, it's a 12-week it's a program, uh, six hours a day. We would have to leave before we got breakfast, and we got back after uh, Chow had already been served, and we were just asked out, for lack of a better term. Um, we were given random drug tests, and I remember somebody, I believe it was Ms. Vanessa, spoke earlier about this. And I myself po positive for cocaine, marijuana, and PCT. I had none of those in my system, and I was already in the start program for alcohol. That jeopardized, now this feeds into what we we're talking about children, that jeopardized my custody, that jeopardized my housing, that jeopardized everything. And instead of the people who were running this program getting current tests that were not, uh, urinalysis dipstick tests that weren't expired, they said that they sent the, uh, my sample out to another lab. So they're incurring more expense for something that could have been headed off, which put me in a very difficult position about having my children at all. Um, that was awful. The transportation that they provided was supposed to be a van two days a week, I'm sorry, two times a day to the mm -hmm. VA. As I said, they'd leave before breakfast, and we were, if there were three or more vets who wanted to come back in the afternoon, we had, to, we had to round up and call U.S. vets. Well, U.S. vets didn't have the van available because there were two. One was never working, and the other one was out with the uh, folks who went out into the field. So we were asking. Now, Rose, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, did you ever assault anybody when you were in that program or anything like that? No, most certainly not. Why? Where's this? Because from? I, 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 I'm going to preface this because a lot of people who don't know if if you had cocaine, PCP in your system alone, when they told you that and they started jeopardizing things. If you had cocaine and PCP in your system, people are getting hurt. <laughs> exactly. And what I have People to do don't understand like what PCP does to you. Like I've seen people take four or five bullets to the chest on PCP and still have the strength of 10 men trying to take out an officer. No, I, I actually had to go to the VA, call my doctor and say I need a full panel blood test, not your analysis right now just in case, you know, there were problems in the future. And I, I find that the single point of failure in each of these programs, whether you're talking about a different model such as Veterans on the Rise or, uh, you know, U.S. vets that we're talking about now, the single point of failure are the case managers because they're not matching up the uh, service member with the resources available based right. on that 50-question risk assessment that Sheila was talking about. And, and not only that, not only that, Rose, to get back to the drug testing, they don't send them out to the labs because they don't want to spend that extra money. The problem is they, when they order those kits, they order those kits surplus, which means those those kits are, have expired. Then they have them sitting on top of the refrigerator, which makes them become contaminated. Yep, exactly. And then on top of that, you have tests that if you eat a poppy seed bagel in the morning and you get a random test, you pop positive for heroin. Like, these are ultra-sensitive tests, too. Exactly. Those, those kits that they order, they order them cheap because I know they had me order some, 
some some kit from a, the guy told me to call the supplement, you know, ask for the surplus. I said, well, that means that the things are about to expire. So, well, that's all we can afford. So they get those kits, they set them on top of that refrigerator. The heat from that from that refrigerator contaminates those kits before they're used, and then that's why people coming up with different types of drugs that then not having the people not doing drugs. Even the exactly. person that doesn't do drugs is coming up with positive. With far-reaching yes. consequences. And, and as far as, you know, um, the risk assessment goes, women veterans don't get extra points, you know, for having been assaulted, um, nope. whether in the military or not, for having children, for um, ever having to have sold their bodies for money. Uh, now, the VA proper does their own risk assessment, and they're the ones who will say you are at a higher risk of homelessness, of chronic homelessness, of being assaulted, um, of being in difficult, dangerous situations that, you know, cause bodily injury, mental instability, and death, we're going to home you a lot faster than somebody else. So, And another thing, when it comes to the housing, um, uh, Orlando was talking about the lottery, and that's true, but there's also that Montgomery, I'm sorry, Montgomery County has its own risk assessment, the VA has its own risk assessment. None of those match up. And the less money that you make, the higher you are on the list to get housed. So, for mm-hmm. example, let's say I, I'm offered a job, whether it's minimum wage or 65000 a year, that's going to say I'm not going to have enough money to get my own place. But that also disqualifies me from getting any help. And if I go back to work, and my, my, some of my benefits are taken away, and my, my SNAP, my food stamp, stamp benefits are taken away, my child care benefits are taken away, I can't afford to go to work. I, can't, I cannot afford to pay for child care and to pay for food and pay for everything with the job, with the little minimum piddly wage job that you want me to have. It's, it's, it's a catch-22. Now, not, I have a question for anybody who may be able to answer this. What what is the likelihood of a, a woman, not just a female vet, a homeless woman getting involved in sex trafficking? Incredibly, incredibly high. Yeah. At the cost of uh, self-esteem and safety. Um, yeah. It's it's in, and it's demoralizing. Now, now, once involved in that industry and in that you know, underbelly of society, are drugs as prevalent? As you had spoken to earlier, it becomes a coping mechanism and self-medication. So they are, but it's up to the worker to decide how she's going to disperse her her measly funds. Wow. Yeah, so it's either am I going to get ramen for my kids tonight or am I going to get high because I know that I have to go out and make more money. Now, I hate to ask this question, Rose, and and I'm sorry. You don't have to answer it if it makes you uncomfortable. Was that your situation? That's been a lot of women's situation, and I wouldn't pick anybody out in the crowd out of respect for um, whatever anybody's had to go through. Well, I appreciate and, that, and 
I'm sorry to ask that question, but I... No, 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 it's, it's perfectly understandable. There was another lady with me um, at USS, and she had her children come very often. Um, rest in peace. She was murdered last September. The best housing that she could find was in a very unsavory area, and yeah. she was hoping, you know, for the port to port out of there um, with, uh, with the next year. And she didn't even make it that far. And she had to make similar choices um, how she was going to pay, huh, how she was going to pay what she the portion of the voucher she had to pay for, how she was going to get the money to do that because if she started working again, she would lose her childcare, she would lose uh, the SNAP benefit, and she was caught. She, and so she was cheapest easy way. Hmm? I'm sorry. They put they put a they put her in a dangerous area. The housing yep. manager put her in a dangerous area. And they knew it. And I lived with her for four months. I lived with her um, up in because I was so I was attending a psychosocial rehab center at the VA while I was staying with her and watching her kids and mine. Uh, it was it was it was dangerous. You know, you had to lock your doors at night. It's, it's not a place that you would. But, same place, U.S. was considered an unsavory area, but where she had lived was just uninhabitable, and I wouldn't wish that on a dog, that or not. Um, yeah, but that was the best they offer. They, don't, they really don't treat the vets with respect like they should. You know, they, they, they tell them, you know, when it comes to housing, oh, you need to hurry up because your time is running out, and you need to um, – go look at a place, we need to take you to go look at a room. Okay, they take them to go look at a room, they pay the landlord a $1,000 deposit, and then the veteran's uh, uh, room rental is 800 or $900, and they'll pay the first three months or maybe six months, but this veteran has no job. So you know what's going to happen? If he doesn't get a job between three to six months, He's back on the street, and then he's back into the transitional housing again. The same and just recycling. Not able to work. And right. what's it's sad is, is the organization. It's sad because it's organizations like that that ruin the trust for us veteran service officers and veteran service organizations to come in and try to help these vets because now, you know, they've already been put in unsafe situations because of these. And you have to wonder, is it just safer to live on the street? Because I know what to expect out of the street. Exactly. Getting my voucher as it is, I have to pay either 30% of my income or 40% of my gross income over the year or $50 a month. And going back to work, again, jeopardizes my, my, my security. It's very difficult because they don't tell you that when you get your voucher. And see, a a lot of the problem is when you report it to VA, okay, they'll take the complaint and then they'll send somebody out. But the the least thing that nobody realizes is that the, the organization itself has someone from the VA in their back pocket that gives them heads up when VA is coming to make. A, a, a visit to the place to see where these complaints are. So they get rid of a lot of the, the veterans that will be problem. They tell them, you know, uh, 
y'all need to uh, go to your room, stay in your room a certain time. They only pick certain handpick of veterans that they feel like they could trust that will make the place look glamorous. But there's, they always have someone in their back pocket to give them a heads up when the VA is coming to visit. Same thing with the city, with the mayor's department, the, the Veterans Affairs um, Mayor Department. They're always letting them know when somebody's coming to visit. So that it doesn't look like the complaints that the veterans have been, you know, uh, submitting to VA. And that's the trick. Now, so I, what I, mean, I hate to be – hold on, Alex. Alex, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of Nivgrad News, brother, but we've got three minutes, minutes left. left. And, 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 but guess what? I, you know what I'm about to say, aren't you? I think we need to continue this conversation next week because, again, y'all are just – I mean, we've got a lot of callers on hold. I'm glad. I don't know if you want to chime in, but what I would like to do is I just want to spend the next couple minutes to, first of all, thank you all for speaking up about this topic. Antoine, Orlando, Josh, Sheila, Rose, you guys, if you guys are available, Next Tuesday, I want to continue this conversation. Are you guys available to do that? Yeah. Not a problem. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay, Alex. I do want to remind you, Perry, we have Andrew Lemish, Andrew Lumish booked next week as well. We have what again? Andrew Lumish, the man who cleans veterans' stones for free. Okay, well, good. Fine. We'll, We'll start him off. And, and and no, that that's all good. But again, guys, we're just touching the surface, and and I know that that there has to be some other ambets, some other people who want to get involved in this conversation. So y'all need to chime in, send messages to ambetsradio at gmail.com so that we can get you on the show as well. You can always call this phone number three one nine five two seven six zero eight one. Three one nine five two seven six zero eight one. I always have Messenger open on Ambet's radio, so if you want to be on the show and you want to chime in on this conversation, go to Ambet's radio on me a message because I always have it open. Sheila, your your input is phenomenal. I mean, thank you from the thank bottom you. of my heart for your openness, and 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 I, I know I knew because. This technical trouble that this was going to be good. I mean, I knew it. I, 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 because again, uh, 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 sin and, and our enemy likes to hide, and, and he don't want to be found oh, out. And all the and all these things you're talking about are all things that we have got to bring to light. And if people are not willing to talk about it, I can guarantee you, people listening who are listening who can help make a difference in this. So thank you for joining us. 30 seconds left. Alex, go ahead and end it out, brother. Uh, for my Harry and all thank you for tuning in. God bless and have a wonderful evening. See you next week. Josh, thank you, brother, for joining us. If you want to come back on as well, just let me know. And you've got the phone number already. Guys, uh, next week, the 31st, will be show 71 with 70 shows. I'm so excited. We started actually a new season. Four new 
next week. May the Lord continue to bless and guide you. As you know, I don't say goodbye. I always say until next time.